Hello and welcome to TikTok. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Um, so I am here today doing an interview with um, Dr. Fernandez. And um, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. My name is uh, Dr. Vindia Fernandez, and I'm a neuropsychologist that has a private practice in Los Angeles, California. I also work at UCLA and uh, am working in a training program there, uh, teaching other uh, people how to become neuropsychologists. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. So, um... Why don't we get started with our first question? So the first question is, what is neuropsychology and how is it different than neurology? Because originally I got confused and thank you so much for correcting me on that. It is so common for people to get confused, so don't worry about it. Um, So a neuropsychologist studies brain behavior relationships. Um, With that knowledge, neuropsychologists can give people different types of tests to see, um, you know, if there's different parts of the brain that are functioning better than others. Like, for example, if someone had a brain injury, looking at how well they process verbal information and nonverbal information like shapes and puzzles can help us figure out if they need help with their recovery, right? So some of these people are sent to speech therapists or to other specialists. And I tend to work with children and adolescents more than anything. So when I test children, I help families understand if a child's neurodevelopment or or brain development, right, is on a typical trajectory or if the child has behavioral or learning differences that may benefit from therapy. So that's that's kind of what I do. And a neurologist um, is an MD, first of all. They're physicians, so uh, they're experts in how the body works and are experts in how the brain works. Um, and they may be more concerned with, like, the brain structure and, you know, um, you know whether or not um, there are any medical interventions that could help people with um, brain differences. Thank you so, so much for explaining that. So... Um, could you walk us through what it would be a typical day in your job? Like, how would things play out? Just how would you normally go about a day-to-day? Yeah, sure. Um, I, I think my day definitely varies from, from day-to-day. Um, some days I spend the entire day doing different tests with children, um, so some of these tests are like verbal tests or nonverbal tests, like the one that you just described. Um, and so in that way, I sort of function like a teacher almost. Um, but then what I do that's a little bit different is I spend uh, a lot of my time uh, writing uh, a report that is sort of like a, a map of children's strengths and weaknesses to help the parents and teachers and other specialists they work with uh, understand how to help them better. So I spend a lot of time writing and a lot of meetings, of course, and things like that. (laughs) Yeah. So you've mentioned um, these tests or evaluations multiple times while telling us about your job and what neuropsychology is. Can you tell us 
what are neuropsychological evaluations and what usually happens during them? Or is it different per person that gets one? That's a really, really good question. They do vary. They do vary depending on the specific child and the various um, difficulties that they have. Um, And so I do tailor my different tests for each individual child. But normally some things stay the same. Like a neuropsychologist usually includes a test of uh, intellectual or cognitive functioning that basically tells us what to expect from that child overall. Um, Some people have probably heard of an IQ, right? And so we do um, often uh, calculate an IQ for people as a way of getting that information. But then we do lots of other interesting tests. Um, We often measure academic functioning to see if people are making the expected gains in academics. We look at things like attention span and memory and um, vocabulary development. Lots of things that tell us how a child is doing. And they can also include um, tests or questionnaires about emotional functioning as well. Thank you. So I was wondering, what do these conclusions of the test help with? Like, what are the, why are these tests usually done? Usually they're done to help parents understand the child's difficulties. And so one of the ways that we help them understand is by giving a diagnosis. A diagnosis is sort of like shorthand for the various difficulties that are, that the child is experiencing. Like for example, if I were to diagnose a child with ADHD, um, another professional working with that child or adolescent would understand what that meant and that that child has difficulty with concentration and may struggle with things like distractibility or impulsivity. And um, they tend to benefit from a certain type of therapy that other children wouldn't need. So um, that diagnostic process is really helpful. And I also help parents come up with a good intervention plan. So I work really closely with the family to figure out um, what resources there are in the community for them. Oh, okay. Thank you for explaining that to me. Sorry. Um, So um, I saw on your website that um, your training specialty includes neurodevelopmental disorders. Can you talk about what those are and some common ones? And are there any known causes for some? Yeah, sure. Uh, So a neurodevelopmental disorder is a difference in how a child develops that impacts their day-to-day functioning in a way that makes their life much more challenging or stressful than average, right? So these differences are thought to be present from birth and they may develop slowly during childhood. Sometimes neurodevelopmental disorders happen because there's a clear impact to the brain So for example, if there's like an early head injury or a genetic condition that affects the way the brain develops, but most of the time we don't really know why. When scientists want to study a disorder like ADHD or autism, which are very common neurodevelopmental disorders, um, we often have to study hundreds of children's uh, brains, like with an MRI, for example, uh, just to figure out what subtle patterns there are in brain functioning. 
Um, but for most people with a neurodevelopmental disorder, getting an MRI wouldn't be very useful because these subtle differences can't really be detected with a single MRI. And at the end of the day, it doesn't change the treatment, right? If, if you do have sort of a more brain-based problem or not. Um, so, so that's sort of what neurodevelopmental disorders are. And you, you asked about, you know, what the most common ones are. Um, the most common ones that I usually um, end up diagnosing are learning disabilities like dyslexia, ADHD is also very common, um, language disorders that affect how a person communicates, and, and autism. Those are those are some of the more common ones. Are there any neurodevelopmental disorders that um, most that are common, but most people don't know much about them and are underdiagnosed? That's a really good question. Um, I want to say, you know, dyslexia is really common and not a lot of people know what that is. And there's lots of misconceptions about it, like that people with dyslexia make you know, reverse their letters when they're reading. But it's not really a visual disorder at all. It's more about understanding how letters and sounds are related and how they are put together to make words. Um, So it's really a reading deficit more than anything. That's one of the biggest, um, you know, misconceptions about neurodevelopmental disorders that I come across and, and about something that's really, really common. Thank you so much for um, talking about that. So, um, talking about neurodevelopmental disorders, what is neurodiversity and what does neurodiversity mean? I love that question because neurodiversity is different from having a neurodevelopmental disorder per se. Um, Neurodiversity is the concept that we're all a little bit different and that's okay. Some people are very talkative and have great vocabularies. Others are really good at art. Most of us also have areas where we tend to struggle. Like for example, I'm not very good at sports and I have terrible balance, right? And um, some people have trouble learning how to read or with concentrating for long periods of time. When these various challenges make day-to-day functioning difficult, then we start to Um, consider the possibility of a neurodevelopmental disorder, but that's not always the case. Um, And I think people um, don't like to use the word disorder too because it has a negative connotation, Um, but specialists like myself like to use the term uh, because it helps us identify the children who need the most help. Yeah, Um, so I was wondering, is it possible? for somebody to have a neurodevelopmental disorder and not be neurodiverse or vice versa? I think it's hard for a person with a neurodevelopmental disorder not to be neurodiverse. I think sort of by definition, you know, these are neurodiverse individuals, but being neurodiverse doesn't necessarily mean that you have a neurodevelopmental disorder. Um, I like to think of young adults who, um, you know, are quirky and different and maybe behave a little bit differently from the norm, um, but that doesn't necessarily impact their day-to-day functioning. I mean, just because they maybe behave a little bit differently, we shouldn't really judge them. 
Um, so in those instances, I don't know that we necessarily diagnose a disorder. Um, although, of course, in some cases we would. Yeah, I really liked how you define that word and how you um, explain sort of how it's a really positive word and something that can be like empowering even. Um, so I was going through your website earlier and I, um, discovered that you said that you were a culturally informed neuropsychologist. Can you tell us a little bit about what that means? Sure. Um, so, you know, I, my background is that I'm, uh, that my parents are Mexican, so I consider myself Mexican-American, right? And it doesn't necessarily mean that I'm going to be good at incorporating cultural aspects into my neuropsychological evaluations, but this is something that I'm really passionate about, so I've studied it and I like to incorporate it into my work. Um, basically, it just means that I pay extra close attention to cultural differences and how children grow up. Um, and I try to incorporate that into how I um, evaluate the child. So, for example, there are some children who um, don't ever learn English in the home. They only learn it at school. And if we're trying to diagnose uh, a language-based disorder, it, it'll be really important to see, you know, how much English they're actually speaking. If they're not speaking very much English at all, um, then maybe we can say these these aren't really academic problems or learning disabilities. Maybe it's part of the language of origin. But if they aren't speaking their language of origin very much at all, um, then we know that probably there's something deeper going on, like a like learning disability or a language disorder. Um, so that's just one example of how I try to um, use culture and language to inform my work. Um, but I think it's really important. You know, Los Angeles especially is a very diverse place. So we need to be able to make accurate assessments of people and not not um, pigeonhole them because of where they came from. Yeah, I think that can be really important. And that's ooh, amazing that you have incorporated that into your practice. Um, speaking about your practice, I want to know how did you know that neuropsychology was the profession that you wanted to follow that you that you wanted it to become your job so this I love this question I I don't think I knew I wanted to be a neuropsychologist for a really long time I didn't even know neuropsychology was a thing um when I was about your age I uh, I became a peer counselor at school so I learned uh, how to be a better listener to my peers and how to help them with their problems. And I would be pulled out of, I would pull them out of class when they requested counseling. And so I would talk to them. That had a huge impact on me. I've always wanted to help people, but I don't think I really knew I wanted to be a neuropsychologist until I was in college and I took a part-time job at a local hospital working with individuals that had schizophrenia which is a disorder that affects um, you know, people's sense of reality. Sometimes they hear things that aren't there or see things that aren't there. And, and I would test them. I would give them lots of different cognitive tests. Um, and I really like the idea of applying order um, and predictability to measuring uh, people's behaviors and emotions. 
Um, so that was really neat and I, I feel like that had a big impact on me. Um, but I think more than that, um, I, I found working with individuals with schizophrenia really inspiring because they were so resilient and funny and um, were so capable of so much more than I think people gave them credit for. And so I I really liked that and I and found that they weren't scary and people sometimes are scared of things they don't know very much about. So um, that really empowered me to work with people who are a little bit different and maybe are underestimated. Thank you for sharing that with me. And I think that is an amazing way that you found like what this is the profession that you want to be and this is how you wanted to help people and I have one final question before the episode is over um how has the pandemic impacted your practice and impacted helping others via your job well the the pandemic um made my job really tough at first because initially we didn't know very much about how to do assessments um, remotely uh, and we had to adapt very, very quickly. And so over the course of the last year, I figured out ways to give some of the tests that I do online and I've also figured out nice, safe, healthy ways to, to see kids in person. Um, but it was very challenging at first. And I think more than anything, um, seeing the impact of COVID and the pandemic on children has really affected me. Um, I think, you know, children are really responding uh, to the pandemic in many different ways. A lot of kids are getting uh, really anxious about being home and not seeing their friends. And, you know, this is causing widespread mental health issues in children. So um, specialists like myself have really had to, you know, respond to those concerns and try to figure out what's the pandemic versus, you know, what's a, a disorder. We don't want to, you know, apply diagnostic labels to students who are just responding to this really, you know, uh, unusual time we're in. Uh, so, you know, so it's been interesting. Um, but again, you know, children are also really resilient and um, I've seen them display lots of different strengths that, uh, you know, some of us never knew that children and adolescents were um, capable of. So it's been a very interesting time. Yeah, it certainly has. Um, I think this is ooh, where we're going to start to wrap it up. But thank you so, so much for joining me on my podcast. And I had an amazing time talking with you and making this episode. And I hope that you have a wonderful day. We'll see you next episode. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. Do you want to say goodbye? Bye. Thanks, Nora. This was amazing. I had so much fun on your podcast. It's my favorite podcast I've done so far. Thank you.